This is Gulf Coast Life from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. Compared to what we've seen across the country, Florida was something of an outlier in last Tuesday's general election, with Republicans winning every statewide race and gaining four seats in the U.S. House. Governor DeSantis's re-election victory over challenger Democrat Charlie Crist by 19 points was historic. Not since then, Governor Bob Graham won re-election by more than 29 percentage points in 1982, as Florida seen such a decisive gubernatorial victory. Despite being outraised and outspent by Democrat Val Demings, GOP Republican U.S. Senator Marco Rubio won his re-election bid by a wide margin as well of 16 points. Although control of the U.S. House after this election remains to be seen, Florida voters helped GOP efforts to control the House by sending 20 Republicans to Washington, again an increase of four representatives. Florida's entire state cabinet went to Republican incumbents, along with outgoing Florida Senate President Wilton Simpson, who won his contest to be the state's next commissioner of agriculture and consumer services. State legislative victories for the GOP were also substantial. Republicans picked up four seats in the state Senate, now creating a 28-12 supermajority that will effectively give the party near total power to pass its legislative and budget priorities. Even in down-ballot races, here in southwest Florida, conservatives dominated. Consider the Collier County School Board races. While technically nonpartisan, three challengers running on conservative platforms have ousted incumbent school board members. Joining me now for a closer analysis of Florida's 2022 general election results is Florida Gulf Coast University political scientist Dr. Peter Bergerson. Welcome back, Peter. Always great to have you in studio. Well, thanks, John. It's uh, so nice to be here with you. And we're also joined by political scientist Dr. Aubrey Jewett. He's an associate professor and assistant director of the uh, University of Central Florida School of Politics, Security, and International Affairs. Dr. Jewett, welcome back. Oh, great to be here, John. And to engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. So I figured we'd kind of start at the top with the governor's race. No surprise DeSantis won re-election. Um, but Peter, were you surprised by the margin of victory? We're looking at one and a half million votes compared to his first gubernatorial election win of just about 34,000 votes. Yeah, no question about it. Um, it uh, I was uh, really taken back. Um, I, I, no surprise, as you suggested, that he won. But by 19 percentage points, it was really, uh, you know, had it been a prize fight, they would have stopped it. Yeah. Dr. Jewett, anything to add to that? What, what, what was, was there any different feeling in the central Florida area, perhaps? No. I, I also felt the same way as Peter just said. Um, certainly expected him to win. All, all signs pointed to a win from the 200 million plus that he was able to raise. Uh, Governor DeSantis was able to raise a, an all-time record, not just for Florida, but in any in any governor's race in the United States history, to the surge in Republican registration where they took the lead and voter registration for the first time in a Florida election. Of course, to the polls, it showed him up. But, you know, the polls obviously really underestimated, you know, his, his popularity. And I think actually... Maybe the biggest thing was just the lack of Democratic turnout. It wasn't so much that Republicans um, just, um, you know, turned out at, at great levels. It was that Democratic turnout just seemed really depressed. 
even in traditionally democratic areas like Miami-Dade and Palm Beach. Them, I don't know where they all went. They're they're still apparently registered. I mean, the difference in registration is only like I don't know three hundred thousand votes, not not a million plus. But somehow Dems just didn't turn out. So that was my my big takeaway for the evening. Where did they go? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I go ahead, Doctor. Well, Bruce. I was just going to say that the uh, two thousand census also showed the significant. Uh, migration of people from northern states that brought their uh, registration with them, particularly New York, uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Jersey, and th- those who came tend to be tended to be Republicans, and subsequently, uh, the, the Republican base or uh, potential registration increased uh, significantly over the last two years. Yeah, uh, Peter, do you think that? Yeah. If... Oh, go ahead, Doctor Jewett. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to talk over. I was just going to say that, um, yeah, I, I, I read some data that Peter's talking about as well. Uh, one of the uh, data analytics company that looks at Florida registration, individual level Florida registration data. And that's exactly what they found was that, A, that Florida had seen a pretty big increase in population, according to the census and the census estimates um, since Governor DeSantis has been here. And the anecdotally, the DeSantis team was saying that, you know, they, the, his freedom state agenda and this sort of thing was really attracting Republicans and conservatives from other parts of the states. But there is some data to back that up, that a, that a disproportionate number of people that, that came over the last couple of years did register Republican. Uh, so that's some evidence. And then, you know, the other thing was um, actually party switchers. Um, there was a number of, I saw another study done by a colleague of Peter's mind, Susan McManus, and um, they looked at the data and discovered that, um, uh, again, a healthy percentage of people either left the Democratic or uh, left their NPA status, no party affiliation status in Florida, and changed to Republicans. So, yeah, Republicans were just gaining across the board, Democrats losing. And then what Democrats were still registered, a lot of them just didn't didn't vote. They didn't return their mail ballot. They didn't vote in person. You know, don't know what they were thinking, but they didn't vote at all. So Interesting. Um, Peter, do you think the governor's near constant presence, particularly here in southwest Florida in the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Ian's destruction, may have played a significant role in helping him win? Or, or, or since the heavily damaged areas are so solidly Republican anyway, maybe that wasn't as big a deal? Well, I think both. I think that he came partially uh, because there, one of the things is that there's a wealth of money here to, for the, this uh, campaign at $200 million uh, that uh, Aubrey talked about uh, in, for his campaign, and a lot of it came particularly from Collier County, but also the importance uh, of the voter turnout. Uh, I don't know that, uh, in all honesty, that they expected a 19-point uh, surge in the turnout, and the uh, Collier, Lee, and uh, Charlotte County are really heavily Republican areas, and so he wanted to demonstrate and, and show the, his presence for a turnout factor as well. Interesting. And, and we're kind of moving now into a little bit of uncharted water with DeSantis considered likely to run for president in 2024. And, and by that, I mean he would be the first sitting governor to, to make a White House bid. And this isn't like other political contests. State law requires elected officials who qualify to run for another office to resign. But that's not how we uh, you know, that's not how presidential candidates get on the ballot. Um, could he remain governor and also begin a, a presidential campaign? 
Uh, as far as I know, yes. I mean, I'd, I don't think there's uh, any statutory or constitutional requirement that he step down to run. So, um, he, uh, But on the other hand, he refused to uh, answer the question, would he serve the full two terms? I mean, the full four-year term. Right. So I think that's a really an open question. I mean, perhaps Aubrey knows uh, something more, more to that. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember. I know that the the, the resign to run law, which Florida does have one, uh, meaning that if you, yeah, as you point out, if you are going to re- register for another office, particularly at the state level, traditionally, then you have to resign your current office so that people know that 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 position will be open, right, and so that they can hold the election in an efficient manner. That's sort of the rationale behind it. But it seems to me, I do, do remember, yeah, they changed it at the federal level at some point when there was scuttlebutt. Uh, ironically, I, I find my memory is serving me. When Charlie Chris was sort of in this, talked about as maybe being a possible running mate for John McCain back mm-hmm. in the day, they sort, of, they sort of tried to make sure that that law would not affect a presidential run, you know, or something like that. So, yeah, my thought is... I'm just going to say there that, was an um, interesting example in Texas Back in 1960, um, maybe I'm the only one here who remembers it, but Lyndon Johnson was a sitting senator, was asked to be uh, uh, John Kennedy's running mate as a a VP. Uh, He wasn't sure that Kennedy would win, so he had the Texas uh, law or constitution changed to allow him to run both as a (laughs) senator and vice president, and so He's one of the few people who won two federal offices in one year. All right. And I was going to say, my, my thought is, if there is any glitch or hiccup at all to Governor DeSantis doing that, I'm sure the legislature will just change the law. And yeah, he would exactly. Put it into action so that he, so, yeah. yeah, even if Florida law doesn't quite allow it, like, you know, it would say, you oh, under these circumstances, you might have to run, resign to run for this new office. I'm sure that they would probably, in this legislature, just change that law to smooth out any possible hurdles so that if he didn't get the nomination, he could still be governor, et cetera. Yeah, well, well, that brings up an interesting point, uh, Dr. Jewett. I, I mean, the makeup of the state legislature now, the supermajority in the Senate, what is this going to mean, do you think, for the coming 2023 state legislative session? Um, it sounds like Republicans are, are pretty much going to be able to pass any priority they want. Indeed. And, you know, for the most part, they have been able to pass whatever they wanted anyway. But there have been a few instances where, in, particularly in the Senate, if Democrats hung together, they could use some procedural um, rules to slow things down or even an occasional thing to stop. You know, there were certain votes um, like to have um, uh, to, to remove some things from uh, pu- public records. Um, and, you know, and make them private, you know, Florida's government and the sunshine rule, that's required a supermajority vote. And um, a, f- a few times Dan did join Republicans with doing that, but not every time. But now, yeah, I just can't think of, you know, virtually anything proposed. Again, some things requiring more um, than a majority vote, like proposing a constitutional amendment or something. But all basically everything that they would want to do, if they can get a majority of DeSantis slash Trump conservative Republicans behind it, then they can do it. And Democrats can't do anything but um, basically yell and scream and try to I was you know, suggest, sort of try to point a point a finger. But uh, yeah, I was going to suggest John that uh, 
the, the task will be is keeping a united Republican Party in both houses hmm. uh, and in tune with the governor's uh, agenda. Uh, oftentimes you find in state legislatures when you have this overwhelming domination by one party that the, that party tends to split either along ideological lines or geographical lines, and Florida would might fall into that particular category. But, uh, but you can see in states like New York or Illinois, uh, there, there's a lot of fiefdoms in, in, in those state legislatures uh, because of the domination just of one party. Yeah. Um, Peter, on that same yeah. topic, Thanks. oh, go ahead, Aubrey. Oh, sorry. I was just going to add, you know, if lo- looking at the like the policy agenda of the governor and the legislature, there's been I've been reading a lot of discussion among pundits and party folks, uh, journalists as well. Um, what direction will the governor and the legislature head? Will they pretty much continue and, and maybe even double down on the kinds of polarizing social wedge issues that they've been doing, right? Like with the LGBT, don't say gay bill, uh, with the anti-riot at law, with the anti-woke act, with, you know, going after Disney and taking away Reedy Creek, you know, will they continue and even more so on these kinds of things? Or I have seen some speculation that DeSantis having won so convincingly and having his eye set on, you know, running for president that he might, um, I won't say be moderate, but he might moderate a little bit from what he was doing before, you know, for the sort of full speed ahead, pushing every conservative cultural issue he could think of. So I, I don't know the answer, you know, to that. I, I do know that if, the, if he chooses to push the cultural conservative issues, it seems like with these large majorities, he'll easily be able to do it. Yeah, I, I would think that the issues may stay the same, but the the caustic nature, the vitriol, is what might change in in, uh, in his agenda or his approach to. Run. I just can't seem to think that he could win the presidency with uh, the 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 social wedge issues that he's so harsh about, and uh, that he takes a frankly a vindictive approach uh, approach in some manner. Yeah. So anyway, Absolutely, I, and particularly when you look at the net. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just going to say the the. So I I think he's he's going to hold on to those issues, but those are the ones that carried him. Uh, you know, he's going to redefine the, his freedom agenda with less less uh, divisive rhetoric. Right, and particularly uh, given the national results that we saw, because of course Republicans had a terrific election in Florida, right? Surpassing, I bet, even some of the wilder dreams of some of the Republican strategists. But across the country, very disappointing results for Republicans. And when you have a midterm election with an unpopular Democratic president, I mean, historically, Republicans should have made great gains. And now it does look like they're taking control of the U.S. House by a small margin, but they did not take the U.S. Senate. And in many, many other states, uh, they didn't have great nights. We, we, we saw a number of Democrats um, uh, elected in uh, some of the swing states. And so I, I guess, again, long-winded way of saying, yeah, I, th- I think I um, ag- agree with you, Peter, that we may see the governor take a, a little bit different tack, given that the national audience didn't respond 
like the Florida audience did, right? Or the national yeah. voters didn't respond like the Florida voters did. Yeah, and 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 he was an incumbent too, where so many of of the uh, uh, MAGA Republicans that lost were not incumbents; they were challengers. Where uh, again, uh, Governor DeSantis is the incumbent, and incumbents did uh, nationwide pretty well on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to some of these state legislative races, Dr. Bergerson, particularly here in Southwest Florida. And I'm just curious if you get the sense that perhaps the Democratic Party, maybe just here because this is a you know conservative area, just didn't put a lot of effort in putting forward strong candidates. Um, like in our own attempts at election coverage, the Democrat in the State House District 78 race, Howard Sapp, never returned a phone call. Uh, I spoke with the, uh, the the Democrat in the House District 78 race, and he laid claims to some pretty unique policy positions I've never heard anyone lay claim to. Multiple times in that interview, he emphasized that he's not really a Democrat and talked about being at odds with the Democratic Party almost as a source of pride. It was it was very bizarre. Yeah, the the uh, Democratic Party here, and at least in Lee and. Uh, uh, Collier and perhaps uh, even uh, Charlotte County, are, they're really a dormant. Uh, I mean, it, it um, the, the, their uh, lack of uh, a candidate pool that uh, uh, they they look at the election results. Uh, if a Republican uh, doesn't get at least sixty percent of the vote, why uh, he's a, he's an outlander, uh, and so fighting those headwinds. Uh, it's very difficult to develop a much of a, a, a raise much money, uh, encourage uh, strong candidates to risk a career or whatever uh, on running for office. So, yeah, the the uh, the Democratic Party uh, is ripe for uh, overhaul. Yeah. Um... And, and, you know, in South Florida, we had talked a little bit, a little bit about this before we cracked the mic. Um, you know, Democrat Annette Tadeo lost her congressional reelection bid to Republican Maria Salazar by a landslide. And that was supposed to be a competitive race. Um, you know, how much of races like that do you think might be a reflection of the Latino vote here in Florida? Well, first of all, uh, uh, Aubrey probably knows this as well as I do, is that there is no single or at least uh, – uh, collective uh, Latino vote, uh, and that would pr- particularly be true in, in uh, south, uh, uh, southeast Florida across, across uh, the uh, interstate here for, from us. Uh, there, there's really a, a cross-section. But yeah, there's no question that uh, the loss of uh, uh, the Latino vote or the movement of the Latino vote from Democrat to Republican really uh, is one of the uh, factors that stands out in the uh, election returns, um, uh, more more so even even though I think you you could see incremental changes over the last two or three election cycles. This this one uh, really really showed the difference, uh, it, particularly in in Southwest Florida. I mean Southeast Florida. Yeah, I mean, Dr. Jewett, I mean, do you have any thoughts on perhaps why the Latino vote, and, and again, acknowledging this is not necessarily a, a solid voting block, um, you know, nobody talks about the white vote, but but why it would seem to be different in Florida than most of the rest of the nation? Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was just in Arizona this past week, 
uh, dealing with some family uh, issues out there. And but I did get to be there right over the election and see the election. And of course, it's a much different result out there. De- Democrats did win, right? I mean, there there's Arizona like Florida up until this, until this election. You know, they've both been competitive battleground states. Arizona still is, but Democrats won. You know, Florida, as of this moment, does not appear to be, and Republicans had such a big night. And big part of that, I think, is the differences in the Hispanic uh, subgroups, subpopulations, because Mexican-Americans are by far the largest Hispanic subgroup throughout the South States. And so in Arizona, Mexican-Americans are still a crucial voting block for Democrats, and they're still pretty loyal and reliable. Whereas in Florida, of course, you know, Cuban-Americans have always been, uh, at least historically since the, since the 50s and 60s, been more Republican. Uh, and that um, was reinforced during the Reagan years and then reinforced during the Bill Clinton years with the Ellen Gonzalez thing. But other, many other groups, particularly Puerto Ricans and, and many other Central and South Americans have tended to be Democratic as well. But that's really changed quite a bit in Florida. I mean, if, um, if, you, if you just look at the numbers out of Miami-Dade, just two years ago when Miami-Dade surged for Trump, and that shows you that at least a couple hundred thousand more voters, most of them Hispanic, presumably, you know, changed their mind in two years about Trump. And now with this election, you know, even. And so I think it's the combination of the charges about socialism uh, against the against the Democratic Party and some of the Democratic leadership. I think that resonates with a number of South Florida Hispanics who have fled communism and socialism, and they and they, they don't want that. They didn't come to the United States for that, and they don't want it. Now, is that charge really true, sort of by American standard? Of course not. You know, Democrats, most Democrats are not socialists. There are a few, but most are not. But it's still that charge rang effectively. And then I think two other things. One, the issues, uh, conservative social issues that Governor DeSantis pushed. You know, uh, uh, Hispanics, even Mexican-Americans who lean Democratic, traditionally are more conservative on social issues. Uh, Ronald Reagan once famously said, yeah, Hispanic Republicans, they just don't know it yet, you know, talking about the conservative social issues. And then last but not least, um, the strong leadership uh, skills, or at least the way that Governor DeSantis comes across as a strong leader, that I think really appealed to a lot of Hispanic and, and non-Hispanic voters as well. There's a lot of political science research that suggest that, um, yeah, a lot of people are attracted to somebody that just comes across as very sure of themselves and a, and a very strong leader. Those are desirable qualities, you know, beyond the actual specific policies that they push. It's just their their personality and leadership characteristics. Yeah. Uh, Aubrey, what about the congressional maps used in Tuesday's general election here in Florida? Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent do you think that helped Republican victories? Well, I, it, it certainly helped, for sure. Um, you know, I, I, from my vantage point, the maps are clearly and obviously violating the pair district amendments of the Florida Constitution. Um, my students, you know, sort of were, when I were talking about this, I'm teaching my Florida politics class this semester, and I said, you know, I could go into a lot of technical details and statistical details and all that, but I said the bottom line is it just doesn't pass 
what we might call face validity, right? If you just look at it, it doesn't make sense, right? That you would draw a map <laughs> that's got 20 seats that favor Republicans based on voting behavior and elections and registration and only eight for Democrats. Not to, certainly Republicans you know, have the lead in registration, but you would not expect that under normal circumstances. And so clearly, it, to me, you know, there was gerrymandering to try to help Republicans. You can look at some specific incidents right, right here in Seminole County, uh, where I live, District 7, that had a blue dog Democrat, uh, more, more moderate Democrat, Stephanie Murphy. That district was redrawn so that it had all of Seminole. It used to have all of Seminole and part of Orange County, which is more Democratic. And so it leaned a little Democratic, and, and she was able to win. But now it's drawn with still all of Seminole County, which is, which is kind of a toss-up county these days. But they, they added in a, a big part of Volusia, which is much more Republican. And so that's just one specific example. Uh, and then with race, the same thing. You know, they got rid of the minority access district that stretched originally from Duval County over to, to uh, Leon County. And instead, um, they basically got rid of Al Lawson, who was an African-American congressman. I mean, he ran, but he was running in a very unfavorable district. So, yeah, he, he lost yeah, by 20 line, points. Governor yeah. DeSantis, absolutely. Governor DeSantis uh, seemed like he intentionally drew these maps to, that, that violated the Florida Constitution, but um, he did it to help Republicans. And um, in the end, if Republicans, because Republicans didn't have a great night nationally, hey, if they only take... The control of the Senate, uh, excuse me, if they only take control of the U.S. House by four seats or less, then, you know, Governor DeSantis gets a lot of the credit because he basically added four more Republican seats to Florida. And yeah, I, um, I would agree. That, Not only you know, did, he, maybe, maybe he'll get political pay. Yeah, and Florida and New York have, have really did it. Uh, the Democrats did not fare very well up there. Well, uh, one, maybe to put a period here, is that uh, there is some uh, lawsuits pending on this redistricting issue, and the courts yes. may uh, redraw the boundary lines for the 24 election. So uh, that, that's an open question whether that the, this uh, gerrymandered district of 20 to 8 will stand. Right, right. Yeah, the day of the election, a three-judge panel ruled that a federal suit uh, challenging the maps could move into the discovery phase. So we're still pretty far out on that, but that is in the works. That's right. Um, Peter, honestly, I thought the story of the night here in Lee County could have been just a disaster with polling locations. Because of Hurricane Zian's destruction, we went from nearly 100 precincts down to just 13. But at the end of the day, it really wasn't much of an issue. Uh, no, it wasn't really. Uh, I, I think that the you know it shows to the uh, preparation and the professionalism of the uh, Tommy the, Doyle and his team. Yeah, yeah. In Lee County. Uh, one thing I think of note in Lee County, though, was that uh, there was a, a provision uh, that uh, on, the, uh, uh, on the election or appointment of superintendent of education. And uh, uh, Lee County now is going to elect their superintendent of education, which uh, for me is a step backwards anyway. Uh, uh, that will even politicalize uh, the situation even more so than uh, what, what, at least in my 20 plus years of watching Lee County educa uh, public education. Uh, this is not something that will help their, uh, I, I think, the students. 
Yeah, that'll be interesting to see what uh, happens going forward, given that usually superintendent appointments involve lots of money, nationwide searches for for qualified candidates. It's not necessarily just somebody who already lives here. Uh, That's a good point. Um, Well, final question, because we are about running out of time. The question I keep hearing is, is Florida still truly a swing state? Is that something we can say? Short answer is no. I <laughs> and I would I would agree with the short answer is no. With, with this with this caveat, um, you know, this was a blowout election for you know for Republicans, Democrats just just got crushed. But uh, you know, politics does change uh, quickly sometimes, and it, it changed quickly this time, right? I mean, two two years ago, we were still considered a a, a very close competitive swing state. And as recently as, say, going back to 2008, when Barack Obama not only won the presidency but won Florida, we, we saw a Democratic registration and turnout surge. Democrats had about a two, two-and-a-half percentage point lead. And then when Obama's team got down here for a year, uh, you know, doing, um, doing work on the ground to get more registered voters, they increased their lead at one point to six percentage points in just, in just two years. So. Yeah. Things could change. Florida population grows so fast, you never know what might happen in the future. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today's program. But thanks so much to our guests, political scientists, Dr. Aubrey Jewett and Dr. Peter Bergerson of the University of Central Florida and FGCU, respectively. Always great to hear your insights and perspectives. Thanks so much. Well, I sure enjoyed it, Aubrey. Thanks. thanks so much for your insight. Yes. And our show thank, today. Thank you both. Oh, thank you. Our show today was produced by Jared Gonzalez and yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida. <laughs>